may be seated. Glad that you've come to worship with us today and uh, enjoy our Lord together as the people of God. Amen. There's somebody else. We just take those as hallelujahs over there. You keep bringing kids to church. We love them. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I'd love for us just to start in the scriptures today um, and let that be uh, our beginning. If you look at me, we'll look, look with me to uh, Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 10. We'll begin at the end and uh, go back to the beginning. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, the word of God says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm trees in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's a beautiful picture. Can you, can you just not wait to be there? I mean, wouldn't that be great if we were there right now? If we could not celebrate with people of all tribes and, and languages, and we would be in this place of peace and presence of God forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so, and the, the singing doesn't get old. <laughs> the praise doesn't get old. It's just worship for all of eternity together as the people of God with our Savior we cry out his name. Salvation belongs to our God. As we hear those, our, our hearts are buoyed. And it, uh, it, uh, it makes us wonder, wow, we can just be there one day. But is this just a heaven dream? Is this just a heaven dream? Like, oh, we just wait until we get there. I want to tell you, this is not just a heaven dream. As we see... The world around us that is divided left and right. I know you're tired of watching it on TV and trying to reconcile it in your own hearts and minds and figure out what, who is nuts, <laughs> you know? And wondering sometimes ourselves, am I nuts? What's, we are so divided in our country right now. Whether politically or racially divided. Our country is in upheaval. And it seems like this is a dream that is far away, that all kinds of people could be worshiping together in unity, in unison, singing to our God. But is this a heaven, just a heaven dream? I want to say, division is everywhere. I know, I know we're here and we're in the midst of it when you go, man, if only everybody knew how bad it was. Well, in my travels, if, if in a couple of weeks I'll be in Archer's Post again, praise the Lord. I hope the, they don't, the consulate doesn't change things. And I'll be in, are you happy because I'm going to be gone or? <laughs> both, both. Okay, all right. And uh, some of y'all have been there, and some of y'all know the story in that place. It's in northern Kenya. And there are two tribes, two uh, main tribes. There's, there's the Turkana and the Samburu. The Turkana were brought in by another group. They're all in Samburu County, so that's Samburu land. That's Samburu people. 
The Trikana were brought in by another group of people, mainly as household slaves, and they worked for them and worked for them. And then the, the original folks left, and they left the Trikana there. So they left the Trikana, who are very warlike, in the midst of Samburu. And so since that day until now, they continue to war together. They uh, war against each other. And so it is not uncommon. Uh, and in fact, a couple of years ago, on Wendy's first trip there, we couldn't go into Archer's Post because the Samburus and Turkanas uh, were shooting each other. And they weren't actually that afraid for us. They were afraid for our pastors because our pastors are Samburu and Turkana and other tribes. And, and while we were there, uh, one of them got ambushed by a, a group from the other side. And so there is real struggle that happens between these groups where they'll go and raid and they'll shoot up people and they'll kill people. And in fact, our pastors, some of them have marks on their skin that show the people that they've killed in a past lifetime. It's real. And so when we talk about race and we, call, we talk about the division that's in the world, it is substantive. It is real. There is something in that division. There is a reason for people to be divided. When Wendy was in Estonia uh, doing ministry there, there were Estonians, there were Estonian-speaking people, and there are Russian-speaking people, and the two would never mix together. In fact, when they uh, were with, with Crusade, when they went to go do ministry, they had to declare which group they would minister to because they couldn't minister to them both. Division. When I was uh, in Romania... There were a group of people that were the gypsies, and the gypsies were hated by the Romanians, and they hated the Romanians. The gypsies uh, were, uh, were put upon and, and had terrible living conditions, but they also stole from everybody. And so there's, there's division. There is division just about any place you go, and there are good reasons for the division. There are division there's division everywhere you go. And there's division throughout all of time. This is the way we are. This is the kind of people we are. So should we throw up our hands and say, well, that's the way it is. I want to tell you, there is a bigger and more beautiful picture. And some, there's some who've been down this road longer than I am for sure that I've learned, learned through. There's a, a guy by the name of John Perkins. Some of you know him. He... Uh, He's, a, he's older now. He's born in 1930, and he uh, was one of the original creators of the Christian Community Development Association. Uh, some of you have been to those with, uh, we've been together to those, uh, and it is, he is one of those people who has, has, uh, has encouraged the Christian community in reconciliation and, con- and encouraged the community in doing something about the division that we, we have. Uh, now, when I say I, I know John Perkins I don't want you to think like if you see John Perkins, you say, hey, uh, uh, I was just talking to Marcus. He's not going to know who I am. So I don't want you to feel like I know John Perkins. But, but John Perkins was born in 1930. He was born uh, in uh, New Hebron, Mississippi. And there he, his father left almost immediately after he was born. Uh, his mother died of basically what was starvation. As he grew up, his brother was detained by the police and they killed him. And he grew up hating white people, hating the community around him. He finally fled uh, at the insistence of his family to California. And there in California, he uh, made a life for himself. His son started going to church and invited his dad to come to church. He heard the gospel and he was saved. 
And then he had to decide after he was saved whether he was going to follow the scriptures or he was going to live like his heart told him, which was to hate those people who, who had treated him so badly. But he listened to the Spirit of God in him. And he forgave. And he went back to that community, to the town next door called Mendenhall, and he started something called the Voice of Calvary Bible Institute. And there he's created other ministries, and, and he has uh, encouraged many people in Christian community development all across the world. You see, there is division in the world. But there doesn't have to be. John, John Perkins uh, has written, recently written a book called One Blood uh, probably the, the final book that he'll write. And I, I've been listening as we've been think as we all have been thinking about race. I've gone to those, some trusted voices, John Perkins and Tim Keller, especially those two. And, and John, they both bring out this point. They start from the very beginning and they, they point to Genesis 1, verses 27 through 28, which say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that we should, have, we should view each other, not just as adversaries, but that we should see that we are all created in the image of God. John Perkins will say, it is a, a misnomer. It is the wrong naming to say that we have a race issue. So there is only one race, and that's the human race. But we create other kinds of races. So, in other words, what we're saying is there are different kinds of human beings. But Genesis 1 says there aren't different, different kinds of human beings. There's only one kind, and they all bear the image of God. And so our response to each other isn't a response against other kinds of people, but it's in view of our God's image on them. So we should be, in general, at peace with each other, but specifically as people of God, we should live in harmony and in unity. So is it possible to have Revelation 7 here and now? In the book of Ephesians, uh, the very first chapter, it talks about uh, the, the way of salvation and if you'll read it very carefully, you'll see that in salvation, it starts out about God predestining and electing, God choosing before the foundations of the earth. And so as you hear that, you take from that this understanding that God, the Father, is in on your salvation. He is in from the beginning, before the beginning. God is thinking and saving you. He's in that process all along. It is God's work to make a way. And then, then you look a little bit further down, you see Jesus' role in our salvation, his death and his resurrection. We see that he lived a perfect life and gave it for us. Jesus is in our, makes a way for our salvation. And finally, you see the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and the Holy Spirit seals us so that we become his children and we can call out to him, Abba, Father. And the point of that as you bring all Ephesians 1 together is to say this one thing. God is all in for your salvation. That's good news. He is all in. You are loved. I am loved. I am provided for. God had to make a way. And he's made a way in salvation. That's Ephesians 1. 
I, I say that because just as God is all in in our salvation, so is he all in in our reconciliation. He is all in in us being one together. Let me prove my point. We learn from the very beginning God's choosing of a specific family, a specific man whose name was Abram, became Abraham. And he's called a wandering Aramean, which means that he was from someplace else and was going a different direction. And God was going to show him a land that was going to be his land that was going to be for his people. And God was going to make a great nation of him. And that's how we know the story is. We, we know that's the, the promises of God, that he chooses this guy who's a nobody in the middle of the desert to go and be his people. And from him, he was going to create a great people, a great people that would have land, a great people that would be uh, uh, so numerous you couldn't count them. But there was even a little more to the promise that we don't want to miss. In Genesis 22, 17 through 18, God is speaking to Abraham and he said, I will surely bless you, Abraham. And I will surely multiply Abraham's offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. You see, all nations will come. All these nations will come from him. But those nations, those people, his offspring will be a blessing to all nations. So this promise of goodness and God's grace and mercy is not just for Abraham and his family. But is for the nations. The the blessings redound and rebound throughout all of history. And this is God's plan. And so we see the the children of Israel as they gather together and they have to protect themselves against all enemies. There are these bits and pieces of God calling in different factions and different places and different tongues and different languages into this family of God. You see Rahab, she comes in and Tamar, they become parts of the, the story of God's story that reaches to all kinds of people. But just as the, the, the people began to see God's work in them, they became insular against the people around them. In Isaiah chapter 19, God gives them some clarity on what his plan is. He says in 19 verses 24 through 25, In that day, in this day to come, Israel will be the third Israel doesn't like being called third. We'll be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Do you see what God is saying? As you look at these oppressors, Egypt had enslaved Israel. And he's called, the prophet is calling the people to understand that God is saying that those those oppressors, the Egyptians, are mine too. And the Assyrians, who, who are your oppressors as well. And in fact, I'm going to divide them up. Third, third, and third. And they're all going to be mine. That wasn't necessarily in, in, in Israel's mind, I don't think. But it's in God's mind. And so, 
God has a love for the nations. He has a love for the world. He has a call to unity. But God's people, on the other hand, are prone to separate, be divisive among themselves and with the world around them. We see the story of Jonah, right? That's the whole story of Jonah. There are these horrible people, the Ninevites, that God calls him to go and share this message of doom to. He said God wants him to go and prophesy to them in 40 days they will be destroyed. Which sounds like a pretty heavy story, a heavy thing to deliver. But Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go because he's afraid that that story, that message, will cause them to repent and they might be saved. Because he'd seen it before and he didn't want to see it again. Now, I want to tell you, let's not, get hard, let's not be hard on Jonah. He, he had a good reason why to hate the, the Ninevites. Outside the walls of the city, they had gathered up skulls of all their enemies that had to number also among the Israelites. And they were outside. They were a vicious, wicked people. He had good reason not to want to show them any love. But God is different. He calls Assyria, he calls Egypt, he calls Ninevites, and he offers his grace to them. But God's people, on the other hand, were easily divided. God makes, God the Father has made the way, God the Son has made the way. So in the time when Jesus is about to come on the scene, we see there the Israelites are uh, an insular people. They're, they are not, uh, they've, they've added, they trumped up the law so that it means that, that they can't even sit with Gentiles because they sit with a Gentile, the uncleanness of the Gentiles might rub off on them or especially what they're eating, they can't eat with them. And so there's not fellowship between Gentiles and Jews. There's a separation. Although they're in the same community, there, there's great division between them. But when the angels come and speak, uh, and shout to the, the, the shepherds on the hill, and they talk about this one who's going to come. They announce that he is going to bring good news of great joy to all people. Not, not just Jews, all people. Jesus then, early in his ministry, he goes uh, and, and sits with the Samaritan woman. Sits with a woman, a Samaritan woman, in Samaria. What is Jesus doing? It's because Jesus is extending grace to all kinds of people. Jesus is getting close to the end of his ministry in John chapter 17. He prays this high priestly prayer to his disciples and he says to them he prays to the father I do not ask for these alone when he says these he's talking about these disciples I don't ask for these alone but for those who will believe me through their word so this the people after them the, both in time and in place that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see? He's, as he's speaking to the Father, he says, now, I want these people to be like us in unity. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity. Now I want these, these right here, those to come and those around, I want them to come together and be in perfect unity. And the result of that is those on the outside will see this unique thing in all of humanity and say, praise God. There's something that is special about what's happening in this unity. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one as we are one. It is a, a work of God. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Amen. God the Father, God the Son, they make a way. They are making the way for us to be together in peace as one, in true community. Jesus is preparing the way. So as Jesus is leaving his disciples, we see a couple of different times we, in his last visits with them, we see the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where he says, now go ye into all the world. Earlier he said in John three sixteen, for God so loved the Jews that he... For God so loved the world. And now Jesus is saying, I want you disciples to go out, and as you go out into all the nations, make disciples. They go out into all the nations. Teaching them to observe. Make disciples of them. Baptize them. And so we see that Jesus is commanding them to go out and to be to bring in the lost sheep. And it, our other last words of Jesus is found in, in Acts 1.8, right before his ascension. He says, now I'm going to leave, and as I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you, the Bible says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Are we getting a picture of God's plan for the world? He's going to send the Spirit so that these guys can be witnesses. And what happens after the, the Spirit falls on them and they have tongues of fire, they begin preaching to people. And, they, and, and at that time, it's Pentecost, right? So Pentecost on the Jewish calendar is 50 days after Passover. And as we were in Israel and we were visiting with our guide, he said, you don't understand, this is, a, this is a, a, a special time in our calendar because there's anticipation in these, in these days. And as you get further along in the days, as you get to the end of these days, you begin to, to look for God's miracle, something special. God does something new during the time of Pentecost. And so you have all of these people coming to Jerusalem and they're looking for something new. They're coming to the temple. They're expecting something. They don't know what, but they're expecting something to happen. And so you have people that are coming from Crete and Cappadocia, from Felicia. You're having people coming from all over, all kinds of people, people that are, that are Jews that have been dispersed. You have God-fearers from different places, from Africa. And they've come up because they're expecting something great to happen. And something great happens. The Holy Spirit falls on his people and they begin preaching. And when they preach, they preach in these languages and people hear in these languages their own language and they understand. 
And it's so wild, everybody says, those guys must have been drinking this morning. Because I don't understand, this has never happened before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is making the way for all kinds of people. And you know the story as Acts 1-8 unfolds throughout the book of Acts. the, The Spirit falls there in Jerusalem with those people. And then they go out and they make witnesses. They witness in Judea. And then they go into Samaria. And in those places they say, well, I haven't, we haven't, We've heard about the baptism of John. We, we've heard about the salvation that comes through Jesus, but we don't, we don't know about what you're talking about. And the Holy Spirit falls on them too. The Spirit is saying, I love my Jewish people. I love my Samaritan people. I love my Judean people. I love all my people. And then, then uh, Peter is, is called to go to the house of Cornelius, and Cornelius is not a Jewish name, and to go and have lunch with him and eat with him even though he is a Gentile. The word Gentile comes from the Hebrew word go, which means nation, and then Gentiles are nations, and so basically a Gentile is every other nation but us. And they weren't to go to the, they weren't supposed to go to the Gentiles, but the Spirit compels them to go to the, to the Gentiles. And there Peter is with, his, with Cornelius, and he's eating with them, and he's got to feel uncomfortable. And then he goes to sleep in his house, and, and that night, God sends a vision, and, and as you know, the, the, this sheet comes down, and it has all these animals they couldn't eat before, and he, he compels them to eat, and, and Peter says, nah, no. And again, he comes back, and Peter says no. And finally, he eats, and he's not happy about it. But God is saying, all those things that you say are unclean are not unclean, especially this man and these Gentiles. See, the Spirit is making a way. The gospel goes out, and it reaches people in far-flung places, empowered by the Spirit of God. But something went wrong. It doesn't take long. Peter, although he had that great experience, begins to doubt himself and doubt God. He begins to refuse to eat with the Gentiles, with the Gentile Christians. And Paul rebukes him. And they hold a council and they confirm, you don't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You go straight to the source. Because Jesus is for all people. And then in Acts chapter 6, the church is coming together. It's exciting times. And then there it comes, ah, there are widows. And, and the, the, there's Jewish Christian widows. And in that same church, there are Greek, Gentile Christians that are widows. And what happens? Well, the leaders in the church are Jewish. And you can imagine They get neglected. The Greeks get neglected. Uh, We don't know how. We don't know if it was intentional. But they were being neglected. And they began to say, hey, something's not right here. These ladies are not being taken care of. And so the apostles come together and they decide, we're going to appoint these kind of, we're like prototypical deacons. And they're going to serve on our behalf. And they, they actually appointed Greek deacons. And they took care of the problem. So there would be peace in the church. It was reconciliation early in the church. 
And so here we are today. And we live in a world where everybody has their own opinion. It seems like it's a hopeless mess that's been from generation to generation. But I want to tell you, as we look at the scriptures, that God is all in on our reconciliation. As Elijah read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, it says this, from, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let's do some work here with our verbs. Did you hear, what, did you hear the verbs about reconciliation? We have been. We have been reconciled with God. Past. We have been reconciled. But now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is, a, this is a, an active, present thing. We now have the ministry of reconciliation. Because the division will come up again and again. And it does. It, sometimes it's according to ethnic lines or class lines or just grumpy lines. Amen. And there becomes division in the church, division among the people. And, and we are to have the ministry, ongoing ministry. When we think of the word ministry, we think about the, the word administer. We are to administer reconciliation. It is not something we say, oh, well, we're reconciled. We're good with each other. It doesn't work like that. We are given the ministry and the message of reconciliation that we apply the things of God in our relationships with each other. This is the way of the early church, and it's the way of the church now. The world around us has all the wrong answers, but we have Jesus. We have the answer. We have the solution. We are called by him to engage, to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. It is a spiritual discipline. It is, it is active in nature the nature of a Christian. So, uh, two years ago, we had this fighting going on. We couldn't, we couldn't uh, stay in, in, in Samburu. We had to stay outside. A couple of months later, I called and said, hey guys, how are things going? I said, things are going pretty good. Oh, great. What, what, what's happened? The pastors got together, Samburu, Turkana, Marion, and they held a time of prayer for the whole community. And they began to negotiate peace between the warring tribes. The Ministry of Reconciliation. When we were uh, there, I guess a year and a, a, year and a half ago, uh, Jerry Roberts and John Sins from our church, they were building uh, a, a, a church structure um, at a place where we had done some preaching before and there's some people who came to faith and so they were working in that place and they were laboring alongside this tall Trikana whose name is Joseph. And Joseph uh, is a hard-working dude. You can ask John Sims. Uh, he's a hard-working dude and 
He's the pastor of that church. He's a Trikana among Samburu. How is that possible? Spirit of God. What would it be like if Redeemer really carried out this ministry of reconciliation? Could you imagine the praise? Can you imagine this kind of worship happening here? It's possible. God makes a way for his kingdom and for his glory and forever and ever. Amen. We don't have to wait for Revelation 7. That could be us. Uh, In two weeks, we'll come back and we'll start talking more about some practical steps in this ministry of reconciliation. Some some people like Tim Keller and and, uh, John Perkins the path that they have taken in reconciliation can be our path as well. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and uh, you are, it's amazing how you think about us so much and care for us and work on our behalf Uh, as wretched as we are. Lord, I thank you for making us into a different people. I'm thankful for what's happening here at Redeemer. And as I look around and see the faces and, and know some of their stories and know that, uh, Lord, you, this good work is already active and working. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would continue that good work among us. Lord, help us to walk humbly with each other. Uh, Lord, to uh, love our neighbors and have the honor of being in your ministry of reconciliation. We bless your holy name. Amen.